Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and, well, if Drew were here, he and I would be recording the show on Tuesday, June 14th, 2022. Drew came down with COVID. We're all sending kind thoughts and wish for quick healing, but I'm flying solo this week, and... Nancy found this fascinating Disney music stream where we listen to, no lie, 10 different versions of, of We Don't Talk About Bruno. The various different versions of this song that Walt Disney Studios prepared for when Encanto was being released in places like France or Argentina. I have to tell you, my favorite version of We Don't Talk About Bruno was the one that was done in German. Lots of interesting consonant sounds. Speaking of movies, and again, Drew, of course, does his other podcast is The Wonderful Light the Fuse, a.k.a. Light the Fuselage. Mm-hmm. Wanted to take a moment here to talk about Top Gun Maverick and its continued strong performance at the box office. I have to admit, I thought it was very funny when the box office total came out this past weekend and, and they were talking about, hey, worldwide, it's made $747 million. And it's really a movie about flying it has a box office total that features the number 747. Go figure. $393 million of that was earned in North America alone. And of course, things got a little interesting this past weekend with the arrival of Jurassic World Dominion. That one didn't get the same glowing reviews that Top Gun Maverick got, and it still pulled in $143 million at the North American box office of its opening weekend, which is like a tenth more than Maverick made during its first three days in stateside theaters, $126 million. But again, when you, you talk about reviews, do reviews really matter when it comes to big franchise films like these? Anyway, Top Gun Maverick and uh, Dominion, We'll face uh, additional competition at the box office this week when Pixar's Lightyear finally arrives in theaters uh, this Friday, June 17th. This Angus McLean film will not be screened in the United Arab Emirates or over in Malaysia because it briefly features a scene where two female characters, who, by the way, are a married couple, um, they kiss. And this is Pride Month. You know, but they're doing this now, so I guess we all need a little irony in our diet. Anyway, lots and lots of animation news to get to, but first, as always, I need to remind you that the news portion of this week's fine-tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Okay, so uh, we were just talking about animation that comes at us from from Disney and, of course, Pixar, uh, but there's also what the folks at Walt Disney Animation Studio does. And we just this past week got to see our first teaser trailer for Don Hall's Strange World. Don's co-director on this, Kwai Nyung, is the writer of uh, Raya and the Last Dragon. Personally, I love the fact that Roy Connolly is Strange World's producer. I, I mean, God, Roy goes all the way back to Hunchback of Notre Dame. I mean, what is that, 96? Wow. Poster for Strange World features the phrase, Journey to a place where nothing is as, as it appears, which I'm kind of glad to hear that because the place that we get to see in this teaser trailer appears to be 
mostly constructed out of Pepto-Bismol. Or, well, I mean, there's a lot of pink, a lot of pink. But that said, I, I like the very pulpy design of the vehicle, very Buck Rogers. I really want this to work. I, my concern is, though, Disney's previous attempts at sci-fi adventurous films like 2001's Atlantis, The Lost Empire, and 2002's Treasure Planet didn't really connect with audiences, at least when it comes to their, their original theatrical releases. You know, on the other hand, after the fact, especially living in the age now of, of Disney Plus, you know, I mean, again, that there's both of those films have fans. So I'm hoping for a kinder fate for Strange World. I'm hoping that this one right out of the gate finds an audience and that people really get behind this one. A bit more news about the film. By the way, the poster describes this strange world as a motion picture event coming this November. Vocal cast includes Jake Gyllenhaal as the voice of Searcher Clade, who is a reluctant farmer and the son of an ambitious explorer who wishes to avoid following in his, his, his father's risky fit, footsteps. Gyllenhaal will also be joined on vocal cast-wise by Alan Tudyk, who is kind of become the John Ratzenberg of Walt Disney Animation Studios. And by the way, if, if Drew were here, I would be asking him, uh, Drew's already seen Lightyear. And, uh, you know, I, I have to admit, I'm kind of intrigued. Is, wait a minute, is John Ratzenberg in Lightyear? And if so, where? Also, worth noting that the last time that Don Hall did something science fiction-ish for Disney, uh, Big Hero 6, which was released to theaters back in November of 2014, which, by the way, went on to win that year's Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. Anyway, that movie, Hall uh, was co-directing with Chris Williams, who, who left Disney for Netflix to go direct The Sea Beast, a sea-going animated adventure, which uh, Williams also co-wrote. We just got to see the final trailer for this film, which I think looks great. I mean, supposedly tells the tale of Jacob Holland, the captain of the Inevitable, oh, that's a great name for a ship, by the way, who makes his living fighting leviathans. Young Maisie Brumble decides that she wants to follow in Jacob's footsteps and stows away on Holland's ship, and this unlikely pair then joins forces and then has several monster-related adventures. Carl Urban of The Boys of Voices Jacob, Zaris Angel Hatter voices Maisie Brumble, and Jared Harris uh, voices Captain Crow, who, who's also the skipper of The Inevitable. Dan Stevens from Downton Abbey in Disney's uh, live-action Beauty and the Beast also voices a character in this new animated feature, though not sure who that would be. Anyway, uh, Sony Pictures Imageworks Vancouver provided the animation and visual effects for this animated feature. I have to admit, I'm also intrigued that the Sea Beast is supposed to get a limited theatrical release in addition to being streamed on Netflix. By the way, it, it becomes available starting on July 8th. I don't have any information about where exactly uh, the Sea Beast will be released theatrically or for how long a run it is. Uh, but as soon as we have that info, I we will get that down out there because honestly, this looks like the sort of movie you really do want to see on a big screen. By the way, we were just talking about Sony Pictures, Imageworks, Vancouver. Vancouver already was a big animation town, but it's about to get a whole lot bigger. Animal Logic just announced that it would be doubling the size of its Vancouver operation. 
jumping up the staff there to 600 people. And this comes on the heels of Walt Disney Animation Studios and Double Negative announcing that they're planning on opening Animation Studios in Vancouver. We were just talking about Netflix, and lots of uh, info just came out of that subscription streaming services Geek Week event. First and foremost, at least for me, because my, my nephew loves Cuphead. The Cuphead show is returning with a new set of episodes on August 19th. We got a great new teaser trailer, which which is just filled with amazing Fleischer-esque animated flourishes. And I also loved how they really leaned into the 1930s lingo. Really looking forward to seeing this new set of episodes. Last year, we got Masters of the Universe Revelation. That's now getting a sequel, Masters of the Universe Revolution. Kevin Smith is returning as executive producer. This is supposedly a brand new chapter in the saga for the Battle of Eternia, with this iteration of the show supposedly bringing us a version of He-Man and Skeletor that we've never seen before. Maybe they will be made out of Pepto-Bismol. Also, uh, Netflix is bringing us a Skull Island animated series. This one is coming from Powerhouse Animation and will reportedly involve a, a character, this group of characters who get shipwrecked on the exact same island that Kong and his oversized pals hang out in. And so I'm assuming a lot of running and screaming uh, ensues. Also, I'm very, very happy to see that Inside Job, that adult animated science fiction workplace comedy, which is executive produced by Alex Hirsch, who we all know and love from Gravity Falls, and also from director Mike Hollingsworth, who, who worked on Bojack Horseman. Anyway, Inside Job just got renewed for a second season. And then there was the trailer for Farzar, uh, which is another uh, animated adult comedy which will be debuting on Netflix this July. And they really kind of, you know, established what sort of show this is going to be in the first 10 seconds of this this trailer for this new animated series. When there was a character who literally raised their hand and said, is this going to be like Futurama or more like Rick and Morty? And given the amount of swearing that immediately followed, I'm going to say it's more like Rick and Morty. Also, we finally got to see some really for real animation from Wendell and Wilde. And this is that dark fantasy comedy horror film that Henry Selleck is directing, which is based on a script that Selleck co-wrote with Jordan Peele. Supposedly, Wendell and Wilde will debut on Netflix in October. It looks like the perfect film to be making its debut just out of front of, of, of Halloween. Again, if Mr. Taylor were here, this would be the moment where I would turn to him. And remember, Drew has done a lot of reporting for The Wrap about the number of kid-friendly animated series that Netflix has pulled the plug on. And I just, personally, I look at this and it's like, you put all of these adult animated series in the spotlight. Is that a coincidence? You know, it's sort of like, yeah, we, we shut down the kids up, but, but look, you know, we're bringing a lot of animated product for adults. And, and and speaking of animation that's primarily aimed at adults, Paws of Fury, that Blazing Saddles-inspired samurai comedy, just got a subtitle, uh, The Legend of Hank. And it's one of these things where it's like, this is one of those moments where you, you want to be a fly on the wall in the marketing office, because it's like Paws of Fury has already undergone 
a name change, but but the notion of okay, so now we're going to add a subtitle with our new name, and it's like, does that really matter this late in the game? Doesn't that sort of feel like well, you know, the boat is sinking, but let, let's move the deck chairs around a little bit more. Maybe we we can get a better configuration. I uh, that said, that said, given that this movie is directed by Rob Minkoff and Chris Bailey. That makes me still want to see Pause of Fury, let alone for Mel Brooks's association with the project, and perhaps explains the, the number of fart jokes. Anyway, Minkoff and, and Bailey, are obviously two Disney vets, and, and speaking of, of Disney vets, the mouse that started it all, Mickey, has a brand new set of shorts uh, coming on Disney Plus next month. This is a continuation of the wonderful world, excuse me, the wonderful winter and the wonderful spring of Mickey Mouse series. So we're about to get the wonderful summer of Mickey Mouse. This will debut on Disney Plus on July 8th, and trailer for this just dropped. And uh, as always, Paul Ruddish and the hugely talented team at Disney branded television are still doing killer work. I mean, you, you know, you, you look at this trailer and they, they just continue to push the envelope of what can be done with this character. And speaking of pushing the envelope, Disney just hired Mark Bozon to be in charge of the mouse's metaverse efforts. Bozon, again, guy generally really well known in the industry. He spent 12 years over at Apple. Uh, he was the, the that company's lead when it came to creative and gaming business. And at Disney, Mark's new job title will be no joke. Vice President of Next Generation Storytelling and Creative Experiences. More to the point, Boson has been charged with building a team that will work on interconnected consumer experiences across immersive storytelling mediums. That's a lot of word salad for me. And, and more to the point, hasn't Disney already done the metaverse thing? I mean, Ralph Breaks the Internet, Epic Mickey, Disney Infinity... And, and just a couple of weeks back, didn't we discuss Disney Dreamlight Valley? Isn't that a metaverse project? What is the path forward here? I mean, can the Toy Story characters exist in the same space where, say, the characters from Lightyear exist? By the way, uh, speaking of toys and Lightyear, when we get back in honor of Lightyear opening in theaters this weekend... We're going to talk about the toy line from the 1960s that actually inspired the Buzz Lightyear character. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Before we, we, we get to talking about Buzz Lightyear's origins, I uh, wanted to talk about Annecy, the animation festival that just got underway in France this week. It was interesting being in the car yesterday, zooming back home and watching the news that was breaking out of France. And, and particularly one of, one of the panels that people were very excited about was the Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse panel. Now, mind you, this film, we're still, you know, well, less than a year now because it's going to arrive in theaters June 2nd, 2023. But they got to see a clip from the movie. They were the first to get to hear the, the gentleman who's Voicing Gwen Stacy's dad, George. This is Shay Wiggum, who plays a by-the-book cop. Likewise, in this same clip, they got to hear Jorma Takone, who's going to be voicing the vulture in the movie. But the, the really big news coming out of this panel was we now know sort of the big bad of, of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And that's going to be The Spot, who's going to be voiced by Jason Schwartzman. Now, Kemp Powers, who's the, the co-director of this movie, stood up at Annecy and was particularly proud of the fact that the spot is a very deep cut when it comes to the, the Spider-Man's rogues gallery. But the reason that the, the crew behind Across the Spider-Verse went after the spot, uh, his superpower is that his entire body is covered with little interdimensional portals that can send him wherever he wants to go. So this, the, you know, again, if you want a villain that's built for the multiverse, this is the guy. The spot is able to use hit the portals on his body as weapons. He can effectively sling his opponent's blows back at them. A uh, number of other uh, films, uh, feature films, got talked up at Annexing, and a few of these are going to be coming out on Netflix next year. First and foremost, we have Ember from Sergio Pablos, the director of one of my favorite animated features of the past 10 years, and that's the Academy-nominated uh, Klaus. This is going to be coming uh, from Sony Pictures Animation, and it's a hand-drawn film about humankind's quest for fire. And the logline for this film describes it as the adventures of young Dietka, who must embark on an impossible race to a distant volcano to retrieve the precious spark that will save her tribe. Kind of an interesting premise for an uh, animated feature, but again, because Sergio is driving the bus here, can't wait to see it. Also, we get from Steve Box, the director of Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit, we're getting what's described as a family heist comedy. The logline for this one is struggling to feed themselves on the proceeds of their ever-inventive but low-yield heists. Tibbles and his ragtag gang of stray cats are forced to go undercover to pull off the biggest heist of their lives, posing as the thing they most despise, the pampered pets of suburbia. It got kind of, that premise reminds me of Over the Hedge, uh, the DreamWorks animated feature from 20 years back at this point, which, again, me personally, I really, really enjoyed. 
But before we get to meet Tibbles and those felonious felines, we first get Scrooge, A Christmas Carol. Kind of an interesting bend on, on this production, which, which, by the way, will be coming out this year, December of this year, is that uh, this all-new CG version of Charles Dickens' Holiday Tale is going to reuse a number of the songs that two-time Academy Award winner Leslie Brusix wrote for an earlier live-action version of this very same story. That film, just entitled Scrooge, came out over 50 years ago in November of 1970 and featured Albert Finney in the title role as a singing, dancing Ebenezer Scrooge. And I have to tell you, this film is not entirely successful, but it does have its charms, among them being Alec Guinness playing Marley's Ghost. Uh, And I have to say, there's a number of really great songs in this thing, though, including the uh, Academy-nominated Thank you very much. So could be really, really entertaining. So I'll be looking forward to Scrooge, the animated Christmas Carol, come December of this year on Netflix. Speaking of different takes on, on characters we all know already, it's time to talk about Lightyear. And Angus McLean's Lightyear. It's not an origin story of Buzz Lightyear, the action figure that we know from all the Toy Story films, but rather an explanation of why Andy was so excited at his birthday party in the first Toy Story movie when he got that Buzz Lightyear toy. See, the, in fact, supposedly there's a set of title cards at the very beginning of Lightyear that say that uh, explain that Andy had seen the, the movie that this action figure was based on, which was supposedly this huge summer blockbuster, and which is why Andy and his friends at the birthday party react the way they do. As far as they're concerned, the movie that spawned this Buzz Lightyear action figure is the greatest film they've ever seen. However, because I'm a nerd and an animation history buff, I can't help but think about how Buzz Lightyear, the character from the Toy Story films, rather than the really for real Space Ranger that Chris Evans will be voicing in, in Lightyear, I, how that started out, which... What's interesting is a lot of people suggest, okay, so maybe Captain Kirk from Star Trek or maybe Gil Gerard, you know, uh, his performance in the title role of the uh, the Buck Rogers TV series on NBC, you know, back in the, the 80s. But no, it turns out that Buzz Lightyear is a riff on a space-themed toy line that Mattel produced in the mid-1960s called Men in Space, which was built around Major Matt Mason, a man who lived and worked on the moon. Now, how we got a Major Matt Mason, the man who lived and worked on the moon, kind of convoluted. Story actually starts uh, over 60 years ago now, when Mattel sends two dolls out onto store shelves, Barbie and Chatty Cathy. Now, Mattel made money hand over fist from these two products, which made Mattel's competitors in the business stand up and take notice. They, too, wanted in on this mass-produced plastic toy market, which is what prompted Hasbro to do something kind of bold in 1964. They, They licensed from inventor Stanley Winston an idea that he'd been developing, which was a military-themed doll for boys. Now, just so you know, the executives on the marketing side of Hasbro knew that that nomenclature, dolls for boys, 
just was not going to fly, especially with the dads of the 1960s, which is where the phrase action figure came from. Now, Hasbro introduces America's movable fighting man, G.I. Joe. Because again, you can't actually call this toy what it is, which is a poseable doll for boys. But but again, it hits store shelves in 64, and it's a huge hit right out of the box. And Hasbro and Mattel's direct competition, Marks, sees what's going on with G.I. Joe and decides, well, okay, we want in now in with this dolls for boys market. So they come up with the Best of the West line, which is the series of G.I. Joe-sized posable cowboy dolls. These arrive in the marketplace in 1965, one year later, and are hugely successful. So now we have Mattel, which, again, remember, had cornered the market with its plastic dolls for girls with Barbie and Chatty Cathy. But now that Hasbro and Marks have blazed this brave new trail, posable dolls for boys with their G.I. Joe and Best of the West action figures, Mattel wants in too. But now soldiers and cowboys have basically become the exclusive property of Hasbro and Marx. So Mattel has to find another hook for its dolls for boys line. So rather looking looking backwards at World War II or the, the, the glory days of the American West, Mattel decides to take a chance on what's going on in the real world at that time, which is the space race. Which is why just in time for the holiday buying season of 1966, Mattel rolls out the Men in Space line, which again is built around Major Matt Mason, uh, this astronaut-themed action figure who again lives and works on the moon. I just, I love that. Lives and works, you know, like, you know, he's uh, just sitting there in a Baca lounger in the, you know, the, 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 you know, the Bay of Tranquility. Now, where this gets interesting is Major Matt Mason, the whole toy line is actually based on reality, as in the designers at Mattel kept, you know, very close. In fact, we'll talk about in a moment, an uncomfortably close watch on what NASA was actually developing at that time. And they would make art available for these uh, forward-leaning articles which would then get published by Life or Popular Mechanics or or that sort of thing that showed that, okay, once we get to the moon and once we colonize the moon, these are the sort of uh, vehicles we'll be using on the lunar surface. Or the, these are the, the types of, of living quarters or the, the pieces of equipment we'll be using to bring supplies to the moon. And so what ends up happening is the toys that Mattel creates to support the Men in Space action figure line, are based literally on that concept art that uh, NASA has then made available to uh, Life Magazine and Popular Mechanics. And it did bring up some rather interesting copyright issues. Uh, I mean, Mattel did tweak the stuff enough that they could claim it was theirs alone. But anyway, okay, uh, a couple of the interesting things that uh, Mattel did to differentiate their Men in Space toy line from the G.I. Joe and uh, Best of the West line that Marks made. And those 12-inch posable uh, action figures were made with hard plastic, whereas Major Matt Mason, they were 
half that size, roughly six inch tall figures. And instead of being made of hard plastic, Mattel used this rubber-like substance called plastizole when it was making its men in space uh, toys. And what they would do is they pour the plastizole into an astronaut-shaped mold that inside of that would be a wire armature, which I have to tell you, having played with these things in my youth, were not the sturdiest things on the planet. I, in, in fact, typically just a, a few, well, a few months, but in our case, a few weeks after, you know, breaking your, your major Matt Mason out of his, his box, the wire armature inside of this Men in Space action figure would inevitably break, and then it was no longer poseable. You know, in fact, it, it, it wouldn't even stand up at that point. But again, this is a deliberate choice on Mattel's part. Their thinking was, by making Matt, Major Matt Mason half the size of G.I. Joe, and then making this action figure out of cheaper material, that would then help them keep the cost of their men's race toy line down. And in theory... This could be reflected in the cost for the figures on store shelves with the hope that mom and dad would go, well, all right, we, I guess we need to get Major Matt Mason and his friends. Uh, because, of course, he had, you know, he, again, he lived and worked on the moon. So he had co-workers. He had Sergeant Storm. He had Chip Davis and Jeff Long, who, by the way, was an African-American astronaut, which was a very big deal back then. Anyway, they all lived together at a three-story tall space station, uh, if you opted to buy that accessory, of course. Plus, they had, you know, the availability of, of you know, hop in the lunar rover and go for a ride or, or grab a jetpack and fly around the surface of the moon. But here's the thing. Uh, Mattel's Men in Space toy line didn't sell as well as the company had hoped, at least initially. And, and the thinking was that this was because Major Matt Mason didn't have anybody he could battle with. The, in the Lightyear movie, we, we actually, the, the, as the trailer hints at, here's Buzz fighting yet again with, with, you know, Emperor Zerg. So the folks behind the Men in Space toy line decided, well, all right, I guess we better come up with, you know, folks for Major Matt Mason to battle with. So that's how, they, for Holiday 67, we got Evil eighty Aliens, Captain Laser, Callisto, Scorpio, and Orr. That, 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 literally, that's his name, folks, just O-R-Orr. Unfortunately for Mattel, interest in the space program began to wane as the 1960s gave way to the 1970s, which is why the company decided to discontinue its men space toy line in the early 70s. But, but when it comes to Buzz Lightyear, where is the, the major Matt Mason connection? You take a look at the original pieces of concept art that were created for Woody's nemesis in the first Toy Story movie. He isn't this G.I. Joe-sized action figure, but rather he's this six-inch tall posable astronaut doll designed by William Joyce, who is, I kid you not, his name is Lunar Larry. Again, Major Matt Mason, Lunar Larry. We are literally side by side on, on the alphabet there, folks. Oh, by the way, uh, if everything had gone according to plan back in 2011, there would have been an even stronger Toy Story Major Matt Mason connection because this was when it was announced in the Hollywood trades that Tom Hanks, that's right, the voice of Woody, 
had co-written a movie based on Mattel's Men in Space toy line. Not only that, Hanks was trying to persuade Robert Zemeckis, who, remember, Tom had worked with on Forrest Gump and Castaway and Polar Express, and, and by the way, you know, Disney Plus is soon to be released, live-action Pinocchio. He wanted Zemeckis to come direct the Major Matt Mason movie because Tom himself wanted to play Major Matt Mason, the man who lived and worked on the moon. This all gets announced in 2011, and then it just kind of, you know, falls off the table for the while. And, I, and in doing research as to what happened to the Major Matt Mason movie, the most recent thing I can come across is this past February, uh, Hanks and Zemeckis announced that, that they would be reuniting after having just we're going to work on Pinocchio together, but they're going to be reunited with Eric Roth, the gentleman who wrote Forrest Gump. Uh, they're working on an, a film adaptation of Here, which is Roth's graphic novel. But, but again, getting back to Major Matt Mason, somehow the rights uh, to this project were acquired by Paramount. Hanks is still attached as a producer and as recently as 2019, there has been talk about this project moving forward. But beyond that, I, I have not heard a whole lot about the Major Matt Mason movie. That's a lot of M's. Oh, oh, oh uh, speaking of movies, uh, and we should talk about uh, Lightyear and, and particularly the IMAX screenings of Lightyear. Just so you know, for its first weekend... Lightyear is going to have to share the screen, at least when it comes to IMAX and large format theaters, with Jurassic World Dominion. So just be aware that there's not going to be as many screens available. So if, you, you, if you're going to want to see this Angus McLean film on the biggest possible screen, plan ahead. And speaking of planning ahead, on Wednesday, June 15th, if you really want to see Lightyear in, in a very special way, Fandango is doing this event called Lightyear Early Access Screening, the Andy Experience, which is being held in IMAX and premium large format theaters around the country. And what's kind of cool is that if you, you attend this event, you will get, as part of your, your ticket price, a piece of concept art. For Lightyear, which, again, that sounds very cool to me. So, but but if you're interested, go now to the Fandango website where you can find details and see what the ticket availability is in your area. I guess that brings us to the end of our solo edition of, you know, fine-tuning. Uh, hopefully, Drew will be in far better health and be back behind the mic this time next week. And by the way, we also have some other podcasts here. Uh, we have a Disney Dish that I do with Len Testa. We have Marvelous Disney, which I do in Aaron Adams. And, of course, we have uh, the recently returned Looking at Lucasfilm, which I do with Brian Gaughan. And I'm pivoting to that one as soon as we, we get this one in the can, folks. So hopefully there'll be a new episode of that out shortly. Also, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review, well, not just this show, Fine Tuning, but also Light Diffuse, that's the sort of thing that helps a lot of people find the show. Uh, likewise, if you really, really, really like what you hear, uh, you can head over to Bandcamp and subscribe. Uh, Nancy would like me to remind you that you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and over on Facebook at Jim Hill Media News. 
And again, I guess that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, thanks so much for all the folks who made a special trip to the Hope Hotel for Dayton Disney Inn. It was lovely to meet uh, a, you know, a bunch of fans of the various podcasts here. And uh, and again, it was a really terrific cause. And by the way, they've already announced the dates for next year's show. So uh, if you get the chance, come on out. And anyway, that's going to do it for this week. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back soon.